0: Welcome to the Finer Girls Podcast. I'm Anna Bukutska and as ever, I'm your podcast host. In this mini-series, we're exploring and celebrating The House of Psychotic Women, the seminal book by Kayla Janice.
1: What do you think? Go ahead, be honest, just tell me. You think I'm insane? know these women wrestling in the arena of No! I disgust you! I sicken you! You hate me!
0: The ripple effects of the book can be felt on a whole generation of film fans, filmmakers and critics, with myself very much included. Kayla Janice's House of Psychotic Women is many things, as is its author. It's a book of film criticism, film history, a study of female neurosis, and a memoir. In this mini-series, I'm talking to special guests, all filmmakers whose films have featured a psychotic woman at the heart of them, about a film featured in the book that stayed with them the most. In the first episode, we dove deep into the themes and the writing of the book itself. Since then, I've been joined by Prano Bailey-Bond, the director of Censor, to talk about Let's Go Jessica to Death. And today, I'm chatting to Deborah Haywood, director of Pincushion. I've invited my guests to pick a film featured in House of Psychotic Women and talk about what the film and Kayla's book mean to them. Deborah immediately picked the brood, David Cronenberg's take on a divorce drama that sees a man trying to get to his raging ex-wife, played brilliantly by Samantha Egger, who has been sequestered by a psychiatrist in his experimental clinic. Now this doesn't even come close to describing what we actually get to see in the film. So if you haven't watched The Brood yet, please do seek it out and beware, this conversation is full of spoilers. If you enjoyed this episode, do let me know what you think. You can find me on Twitter at AnnaBeDemented, And you can also support the podcast over on Patreon, where we're publishing more and more bonus episodes, or simply by leaving us a review over on Apple or Spotify podcasts. And with all that said, please join me in the house of psychotic women. The lady says we're recording, so we must be recording. Um, Deborah, thank you so much for giving up a little bit of your time to chat to me today. It's, it's a genuine pleasure always to chat to you and specifically oh. about this book and the film that we're gonna be talking about. So before we get into all of it, I wanted to ask you, since it's the first time you're on the show, what is your own relationship with horror?
1: Well, do you know what? Since I've been in the industry, I feel that um, the more I know, the more I know that I don't know – but I know that I love it. And uh, this morning I saw my old friend that I've been friends with since I was four. Mm. And I was like, Oh shit myself. Cause I'm going on this podcast uh, this afternoon about horror and I don't know anything about it. And she was like, you've been, but you were brought up on horror. What are you talking about? You know, cause it was like <laughs> our, you know, kind of like our pornography when we were grow- little and, you know, um, growing up. And I was like, yeah, yeah. But like, I literally, you know, we only know surface horror. We don't know like, there's horror people out there and they're like absolute fanatical and they know everything. It's like, kind of like almost, um, beyond nerdy. And so that's (laughs) what gets me scared, but, um, but horror is probably, you know, my favorite thing. And it's, it is one of the things that, um, I, I like to pay money and go and see in a Mm. cinema, um, and I love, like, shout, um, the ones that make you um, scream, and I always scream. Do you? Like, <laughs> always, always. And um, and because now, like, us being in the industry, sometimes mm. we go to industry screenings, don't we? And I went to a critic screening of Censor, mm-hmm. and um, I screamed, like, right out loud. And everyone was, like, turned around and looked at me as if to say, you know, like... <laughs> you're not an you know you shouldn't be a normal audience person what are you screaming at this is
0: you're so right I always felt that kind of pressure when I started going to critics and press screenings and industry screenings I would be you know very stoic I'm like no reaction if it's a comedy don't laugh if it's a horror film don't get scared just like you know with my little notebook and I still remember and think about a lot the screening that made me absolutely lose my shit was when I went to see hereditary and about 40 minutes in I was like I can't pretend I was like my knees were up to my chest
1: I was like, oh no <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the best isn't it that's what, I mean that's what we go for isn't it for those like extreme re- reactions and emotions yeah and I was even
0: watching I love watching horror films in the cinema but I was watching uh, a screener link of Barbarian at home by myself for work and I literally screamed <laughs> out loud by myself in my living room uh-huh. And as I did, I was like, that's good. That's good. That's a good film.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) And you know, it's a good horror film when you're watching it at home and it's daytime and you you know, it's daylight and you're still absolutely shitting yourself. (laughs) That's just the best.
0: (laughs) And what made you, um, what was your way of discovering Keirla's book? Like when did you first read it? How do you feel about it? Um, since you first picked it up and now that there's you know with the 10th anniversary so much conversation about it and so many events happening around it
1: yeah I um I, it was Lizzie Frankie that told me about it in the first place and um she always um recommends horror books because she knows that you know I like a bit of horror and um so she was she she said oh there's this great book and um so i got it and read it and i was like oh my god mm-hmm. um like one uh, on one hand i was like oh my god this is like completely like nothing that i've read before it's like you know complete autobiography mm-hmm. but then like talking about all these films and um and i was like so what is it is it like a critic's book or is it a- is it a memoir? Is it, you know, like what actually is it? And I, you know, I still don't know, but I know that I was really, really excited. And also it's kind of like, it got me excited because it was like, oh God, like, you know, this woman is just so brave to yeah. get something like this out there, like all this trauma. Mm. Um, and it does read like like one book of trauma because I suppose, you know, she's picked those she's picked traumas that also respond to trauma on screen. So, of course, it's going to be about trauma. You know, I'm sure if she did another genre and she was talking about uh, comedy films, then she'd, like, you know, write about the stuff when she's been pissing herself laughing or, you know, whatever is in them films. So, you know, inevitably it's like that. But because of that, then it's, you know, it makes such a powerful um, read, but also it kind of gives you permission yourself to be brave, Um, and think you know you know like fuck it you know why shouldn't we talk about this stuff we're always like oh no you should keep you know like um your your thoughts or your dark stuff
0: Mm. to yourself
1: but she was like well no actually get it out and also it kind of makes sense that she has done it like that because I know um when you watch a film you you do take put it back to your own life don't you it's like when I when I first saw the brood or the Mm. image I saw the image first of you know the the stomach and everything and the growths. And that's what made me want to track it down because I remember walking down Wolfram Market, like about 20 years ago, I saw this woman, this old woman who was obviously, you know, kind of, I think she'd got a bit dementia or something like that, but she was obviously very constipated and she'd got like poo balls that had fallen into her tights and she was walking and the poo balls were like, you know, big balls and like Hmm. kind of wobbling around in her tights. And it made me think about that. So of course, when Kayla's watching the film, she's going to be like, oh, yeah. And that, you know, that reminds me of this. And I was mm-hmm. feeling that when, you know, that was going through. So it's kind of like really surprising, but also kind of it makes sense. And mm-hmm. there's almost something inevitable about it. But uh, I can't imagine that a man would have written it, can you?
0: I, I mean, that's a really good point. And like, I'm. Even though I've, you know, this podcast and the Final Girls and everything kind of was born from this idea of, you know, uh, the intersections of horror and feminism and being a woman and all of that, I've kind of a little bit grown old, you know, go grown tired. I think of this idea of, oh, there's there's something special, something really female about uh horror films. What I am interested in is what exactly what you said is the watching films because you're watching them from your own unique experience and mm. that's shaped by you being a woman or or being a non-binary person, being a man, whatever it is. But I think like when you're, you know, to be very broad, when you're anything other than whatever the norm is, you're so aware that you're that. Yes. That then like the watching these films are, it you're kind of giving yourself permission to kind of feel a lot of like quite complicated ugly things Mm. because you're seeing a lot of really weird complicated ugly things on screen it's like you're seeing them and and i think this is what what keila's book kind of does so beautifully it's like she's like oh yeah i remember this film and also I remember exactly who I was when I was watching it and how that's changed as she's revisited and become, you know, a critic, a programmer, an author, all of these things, everything. those films change. She's, she, everything. she's everything, but she also remembers who she was mm. and how she watched the film. Mm. And when I was rereading it, I was thinking it would made me remember as well being like, who was I when I watched, you know, the brood for the first time, yeah. like when I watched, you know, a nightmare on Elm street for the first time or the exorcist, like it makes you kind of go back and you're thinking like, why? Yeah. Like who was I and why I was watching this and how I was watching it, like on a little TV in my room with friends by myself, all those things just kind of make up your own, I don't know, your own mythology of sort of how you watch films and what you make of them, because it's totally different watching, you know, Um, hereditary or whatever whatever film you're watching in a press screening or in a cinema with people who want to be there or with your family or with your boyfriend or with your girlfriend or you know by yourself like it totally changes
1: oh yeah but also don't you find that it changes regarding what's going on in society and what we've learned and what Mm. how we've evolved as as people because I remember seeing the piano and thinking mm-hmm. it was just an absolute beautiful love story, and you know, so powerful and wonderful, and you know how strong this woman was. And um, and then there was a couple of years ago, there was some anniversary of it, and I went to see it again, mm-hmm. and um, I found it quite rapey. And it I was like, happy. oh, this is a surprise, you know. Um, and I I do feel that. Um, discomfort as well with horror you know there's something about it it's like on one in one way it's like I feel empowered by it and you know by women and you know they're all mostly center stage and we're used to you know all the other genres are usually men are centre stage, but then, um, you know, what they're going through and that sometimes I'm like, Oh, am I kind of adding to something nasty mm. in the air here mm. by watching it and enjoying it? So I do find it very confusing, but also that, you know, that's, what's all co- compelling about it as well. It's like picking your own feelings apart after you've seen a, a film and, um, and also like not knowing what, how to talk about stuff. Mm. Um, you know i just said oh i can't imagine a man writing um House of psychotic women but then also, but then it, it reminded me of tarnation and that was by a bloke yes um, so you know i think we you know we're all wrong and right and but i that is one of the things actually that i loved about kayla's book mm-hmm. is that um it's not judgy it doesn't uh, make it doesn't it just says things how it is and it's how it, she experienced stuff mm. um, but she doesn't um judge the films or judge the experiences even she just like says this is how it is and this is how i felt um which i kind of really like because yes. then you know you can't you can't regret saying something and then i think if if that's what you've said because it's it's your experience of it and also um you're not kind of putting your own thing on it like um i don't know
0: you're Not also totally important. inviting other people to see it too
1: yeah like if someone yeah. describes that
0: film to me i'm like yeah, I want to see it. Yeah. But if someone just tells me, oh, well, this is good or bad, I'm instantly like, well, I'm not interested because you're telling me nothing about the film. Yes. Like, I I don't know who you are. I don't yeah. know what this film is or mm. why it is good or bad. I And I will not trust why if you're just saying it's good or it's bad. I'm like, oh, okay, yes. well, fine, whatever. I don't care.
1: Yeah. Because, you know, everything's good or bad to different people, isn't it?
0: Exactly. But don't think I forgot about the poo balls, uh, which I'm now going to add into my vocabulary for, <laughs> forever. Um I do, I want to get into the brood because when I, when I messaged you and I invited you on, um and with all the other guests, I also kind of offered them to pick any film that's covered in the book. And there's this really handy letterbox list of all the films and you instantly went for the Brute. So I want to ask you kind of why this film, why did you want to talk about it?
1: I think because it's the most striking image that I've probably ever seen on, Mm. in cinema. Um, and you know, for her to, you know, she's such like a beautiful woman and, she's got all this ugliness over her and gaping off her body, like deformity, you know, almost like, you know, the elephant man sort of big growths and stuff. And yet then she does this, uh, she's got this, you know, beautiful silk blonde gown on and uh, she lifts in her hands in the air and, you know, she turns into an angel. Hmm. Um, Well, what looks like an angel, she doesn't turn into an angel, but, you know, she makes the, a kind of gesture mm. uh, she looks like she's got angel wings um and it's just you know an a, extraordinary image I think one that really really you know speaks to you and ask, gets you asking questions mm. kind of revolts you but also intrigues you and there's you know such she's so beautiful mm. um and yet she's covered in all this ugliness I, I think you know like I just defy anyone to see that image and not want to not have questions or not want to watch the film and find out. So you you
0: mentioned that you had seen the image before you watched the film. Mm. What did you, how did you first see that image? And then kind of also, what did you make of the film when you finally watched it? Uh,
1: I saw the image in, um, some film magazine, Mm. um, Ages ago, mm-hmm. but it was before you could really get films on the internet and stuff like that so I always i lodged it and I was like mm-hmm. I need to watch that I absolutely need to watch that and um and then I watched it um it was on somewhere I think it was in like the Roxy in California is like an old cinema where they show like old films mm-hmm um for you know like three quid in the daytime kind of thing and um and it's like a bit seedy and um you know kind of just that old thing you know where I don't know there's like I can't think of a a comparison to sort of a bit like you know that cinema that used to be on Rupert Street that you used to go downstairs to
0: no, but oh. I instantly thought of like, I mean, this is before my time, but maybe the Scala, um, like kind of a yes. little bit of a cold CD place. Yes. And yes. not yes. that it it's not CD at all, but the Prince Charles cinema kind of whenever yes. they show kind of, I yes. used to go there all the time as a student yes. because they would show one pound, uh, films yes. for one pound.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of thing, but mm-hmm. not as grand. It was, it's very tiny. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So when, which felt really appropriate actually, um, But yeah, so but then when I watched it, it was like nothing what I thought it was going to be about. Mm. Uh, I I got a uh, you know I thought it was going to be some kind of like alien film or something like that, but it wasn't. It turned out to be much more like. I mean, how do you describe it? (laughs) Well, I was about to
0: ask you. How do you describe the brood, and how do you even describe Nola?
1: Yeah. I I mean, I don't know. They just defy explanations. Mm -hmm. Um, But I went and watched it again um, the other day when I knew that I was going to talk to you. And I'd already seen your email saying, Mm -hmm. oh, um, this is supposed to be like uh, Cronenberg's Kramer versus Kramer. Mm -hmm. And I completely read it in a different way, the film. Tell me. Yeah. So before, when I watched Mm -hmm. it before, I thought it was kind of like, Uh, the mad woman in the attic and Mm -hmm. the woman um, it either had too many children or she wanted all all these were like miscarriages or abortions or whatever Mm. uh, that were kind of haunting her and made her go crazy and so she was in this like mad woman in the attic and and that was the problem Um, and all of these you know entities that were going attacking everyone I thought that they were kind of ghosts of her children that weren't born sort of thing um but then when i watched it yesterday and i was like um oh my god this is like he he's clearly the central character well Mm -hmm. i mean clearly but this is what i thought with the kramer versus kramer thing he's the central character his woman's his woman's like in therapy or something and the therapist is um you know like as sometimes like in marriage you you know you use the therapist against you or you yeah Or they say, oh, God, you know, like uh, we were completely happily married until she started having therapy and then realised that, you know, she didn't want the marriage or anything anymore. Um, So I I, um, thought it was that kind of thing. But um, I don't know where I'm going now. What was I saying?
0: You were talking about uh, the uh, rewatching it oh, yesterday. Yes, yes, yes yeah, yes, yes,
1: yes. yeah. So then I thought, oh my god! So she's in therapy because of. Um, but then I was like, oh, because then when I saw him flirting with the teacher, and you know, um, she must be in therapy because he's going off having you know like maybe little things. But mm-hmm. then he sees himself as this hero. I mean, he was so flawed that uh, unflawed. He mm-hmm. didn't do anything wrong. He was, you know. Uh, this beautiful man who, uh, you know, all he wanted to do was get his child back and help, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and then the, you know, this poor, this teacher takes, um uh, advantage of him. Uh, but then the wife, you know, she's fucked that. She's, you know, killed that one off sort of thing. Um, and, um, I mean, I'm very into the, uh, the other film
0: that you thought the brood was before watching it of kind of her miscarriages haunting her or kind of you know them being the the, this is a completely different film that i would also like to watch
1: i was gonna Uh, say i think we should write it
0: (laughs) (laughs) absolutely (laughs) And there is something it is weird because the whole kramer versus kramer thing that i sent you in an email you know about this reading this as sort of his uh divorce drama yeah uh, you know about the because it was partly inspired by his own custody battle with his ex-wife and you remember when I first spoke about this film on the podcast, kind of, that was a big part of the conversation, right? It's like, oh, it's Nola is presented as such a monster in a way that, you know, she's the demonized ex-wife.
1: and yeah. She kind of and, looks like Medusa, didn't she? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I also, like, when I, it when I first
0: powerful. watched that film, I never thought of it that way. Like, I remember thinking of, like, when we finally get to her, I was like, she's, you know, sort of built up in this way but then when she reveals herself I'm like wow she's more powerful than both of these men you know Mm. the the therapist cult leader figure her ex-husband I'm like you're kind of on a different plane and I think in my if I were to you know imagine a sequel to the brood I was thinking like oh she's she's now starting her own cult. Because look at this, yeah. her rage and all her stuff is manifesting physically in this way that is so powerful and so angry and physical. I'm like, I think she's above all of these other dudes because I guess much as the, you know, I, when I see her, I'm kind of looking at it from her point of view. So I'm like, this is a hell of a lot of processing and therapy mm-hmm. and mm. like sort of rebuilt physically remaking herself in a way and i'm like i never really think about it as you know this is her being you know a monster it's her becoming a monster but as monsters never necessarily bad in my book
1: Mm. well i don't know i mean wouldn't it be great if we could remake it from her point of view yeah absolutely and and see really you know like what is going on in her head because it's all from his point of view mm. um, which uh, if it is about marriage kind of like obscure ob- exclude you from mm-hmm. her side of the story doesn't it yeah uh, we only get her his stuff. that's why was it the marriage story with um, that tall bloke <laughs> Adam Driver yeah. yeah him like when I saw that I was like oh yeah but I want her story yeah um, and yeah, with this one, it'd be like, great to have her story and, you know, like what she really thinks is going on. Mm. Um, and and yeah, why does she have to go to a court in the first place? Is it because of her husband and patriarchy? Because and, mm. um, we don't see films with, you know, if she's psychotic, we don't really see that many films with the male, the you know, the husband being psychotic. Psychotic or neurotic or mm. whatever it is. But I do like, I do think that, you know, like it is common for uh, a man to say, you know, a man to feel disempowered mm. by the female because she's the one who's given birth. So she kind of gets the rights more. And I think that, you know, like women then do get built up in people's minds. It's like, yeah, she's got all the power. Mm. Um, and yet it's her is like, you know, throwing shit at everyone. And, and, you know, these like, you know, little rage balls or whatever they are um, people <laughs> that, um, you know, they, they are this time I read them as like flying monkeys, uh, you know, like mm. when they're like, you've got a narcissist yeah. and not like, you know, infects everyone else. And, you know, then somebody else goes and repeats stuff and like mm. the, the poison gets spread around. Um, I, I saw that like, like that this time. And what do you think of her,
0: you know, in the context of, of Kayla's book and everything, what do you think of her, of Nola as a psychotic woman? Is she even psychotic?
1: Well, she seemed really not psychotic to me, but I, you know, I mean, what is psychotic? Do we actually see psychotic women that are not in film? Um, Hmm. Well, we get, it's a, it's a
0: very big trope. We get, we get them a lot in, in books. Um, And like in horror films, I think, well, in films in general, I think the psychotic woman, which is everything that you know, Kira explores in the book, is is just so malleable. Like it changes. Yeah. And even if she's, because Nola doesn't never really raises her voice, does she? No, She's, that's what the, I
1: mean, she's very gentle and yeah. but then, You
0: know, but everything is sort of manifesting through her yeah. body, and even in the sla- the big image and the last scene um with her, you know, flying monkeys or little rage monsters that uh how they're described in the book, which instantly made me think of Lady Gaga and her little monsters as well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like um there's something also really scary about, you know, a psychotic woman who is never really losing her temper
1: which I found really
0: interesting about her because she's very calm, very soft-spoken. Yeah. Yeah. Even when she's saying, like, in her last scene, is, like, all this horrifying shit, but she never really, you know, goes full mm. psycho.
1: No, she doesn't, does she?
0: Yeah, and I was wondering what you thought about kind of that performance by Samantha Egger because that is, that is like, specific choices that go kind of against our mm. vision of a psychotic woman.
1: Yeah, no, I well, I think it was very clever mm. um, because she's she's harder to blame if she doesn't, you know, um, act mad and is screaming and all the rest of it. I, I think it makes her more powerful and more frightening because uh, she's more unreadable. Mm. Uh, yeah, I wonder what. Um, because there's that book isn't there it's like the body keeps the score yes yeah I wonder what if we read that I've never read it I've always meant to read it Mm -hmm. but um it'd be interesting to read that and to see you know like because I think that's all about um trauma manifesting itself physically Mm. um and do you think there's
0: do you think there's something extra scary by the fact that her anger and her distress is manifesting as like You know, external wombs.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Don't you?
0: I mean, yeah, but I mean, I find the whole—I mean, I'm—I'm not a mother, so like the whole idea of pregnancy and childbirth is fucking terrifying to me.
1: Yeah, well, so it should be. (laughs) (laughs) You're right to be scared. (laughs) What do
0: you think is kind of so? What do you think is so scary about it that the film really? really reminds us of by putting it literally outside of her
1: and without belly buttons i oh mean what God. what does that i mean there's something horrifying about that isn't there it's kind of like a detachment or i don't know i mean i found that that the, the scariest bit really you know the these things. And also did they remind you of the light little girl or creature thing in don't look now? Yes, totally. Totally. Which, which came first? Uh, I think it
0: was don't look now. I want to um, say it was don't look now. I might be wrong. Um, but there is, I mean, there is something creepy about children in general, but yeah. also children who are acting like Adults, yeah. Like, even even if you think about something like Esther or Children of the Corn, you know, yeah, the oh, Village no. of the Damned, like yeah. any any yeah. child who is kind of like behaving like a tiny adult, mm.
1: instantly creepy. But they've got adult hands, aren't they? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 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 and cleft cleft lips. I love a cleft lip. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah I think there's something like just like oh my god love of cleft and if it's on an albino mm. oh my god I'm just there for that there's just <laughs> something.
0: so what do you what do you like what do you make of them as as these you know
1: uh tiny rage monsters I don't know I thought it was um they're acting up you know, like when there's children who are going through a divorce and then they start mm-hmm. acting misbehaving and mm-hmm. playing up playing up at school or being violent, or you know, the teacher says, Oh, well, you know, they're like suddenly um misbehaving. I thought it was that, and that the, you know, the trauma was coming out in children, and it's children who uh, you know, um take on the rage. Mm. Um, especially with her, you know, like at the end when she's growing her own um blisters. Mm-hmm. Um it's like, oh yeah. So now that now she's traumatized now because of this that's been going on with the adults and she's gonna they're gonna grow on her and she's gonna take them into um, you know, and maybe have another maybe she'll be having, you know, navel-less babies or I, <laughs> I, mean, loved, I loved it also when she like pulled her out pulled one of them out of the sack mm. and then pulled it out. And then, like, it was like a hamster. Is it hamsters or kittens that, you know, like, eat, the, yeah. eat back and um, clean the baby up? And, um, yeah, that was amazing. It's just it's, so, like, it gets to your belly, doesn't it? It's like, ah. Uh. <laughs> it's, it's that thing of, the thing that really strikes me about it, and
0: it's, you know, terrifying as I find, you know, the idea of childbirth. It is also, like, the thing that I find... I wonder if we find it terrifying because we're just never really allowed to see the actual thing. I'm not talking about kind of scenes of childbirth. I'm talking about like we just sanitize it so much. Yes. That when something like this comes along that is even sort of, you know, you know, like you said, like kittens or animals when they give birth, like automatically yeah. kind of there's stuff that happens yeah. or like stuff looks a certain way or whatnot. And Like when you sort of see it in a film with a human and, you know, this is body horror and all that jazz, but it is so like, it really hits you in the gut because you kind of know that it is rooted in something very everyday. Like mm-hmm. people, give, people give birth every day and there's yeah. weird complications with birth every day mm. and ba- newborn babies are gross. <laughs> the whole process is gross. You
1: never see the placenta, do you? Like no. even though like, I've got a daughter, but mm. I had an emergency cesarean, mm. it wasn't until like my friend, like a few years after, she had, uh, she was a big smoker and uh, and she said, oh, after I gave birth, um, the midwife bought my placenta open over- over, she said, and it was you know like black and all in bits, and it's supposed to be pink and you know all intact. And I was like, "What are you talking about? What placenta? Because you only ever see like an umbilical cord, and it's cutting. Yeah. That- they don't tell you that you kind of like have another labour after your baby, and you you know give birth to this placenta. um I mean, yeah, and and there's this whole.
0: <laughs> I, I'm very much into TikTok, and there's this whole there's this creator who I follow who has basically been making there's a lot of kind of uh you know expecting or or um you know young mo- or f- mothers online who are kind of tel- talking about and showing the kind of the realities that they experience um, really, yeah. and there's this young woman who's been keeping a list of all the reasons why she never wants to get pregnant and one of them that i just remember being like this is not real how what is this apparently like some Women, some people will get kind of these weird, giant bulbous like growths on their ar- on their armpits when they're pregnant. Really? And I was and I was instantly like, "What the fuck is this? Is this David Cronenberg making pregnancy? Oh, like, God. what is happening?" <laughs> and I just like I instantly thought of The Brood. I'm like, "What the fuck? Wow! Like, oh.
1: What are all these things that can happen to bodies that we just don't them?" Because I watch TikTok. Spots and blackheads and um, all those kind of things. People having I, toenails cut out. I
0: did not watch further on because I was like, I, I do not, I don't, I, I cannot watch this. <laughs> I can just, it was like it was the size of a fist on this woman's armpit, oh. and I'm like, this is just not. Why does no one tell anyone about this?
1: Wow, I wonder what trauma
0: that was then. <laughs> and I do I think you're I think you're actually right. I read the ending the same way of like the the child kind of inheriting this thing, which makes sense, right? It's trauma mm. begets trauma and kind of the way I think especially the way of dealing with things is the thing that we learned from our parents, right? Yes. Like the way that you see your mom or dad Or anyone who is Mm -hmm. in your immediate family reacting to stuff. Turn into a mom. Yeah. Because like, if she see, you know, like, if you're, if you're, you kind of learn by mimicking, right? That's how we first learn. And if what you're seeing is someone Mm -hmm. being so angry that they're creating little killing creatures, Mm -hmm. then like, that's the thing you're going to mimic, right? It's the same way as if, like, you see, if you see your parents being, I don't know, really really angry or violent or stuff um it's not unreasonable to you know to see then kids kind of react to situations in a way that they see their parents deal with those situations like if
1: yeah no I never thought of it that way but also when you were saying oh i mom's so angry that she's developed these things it's like why did she have to develop them what you know could she not voice them in mm-hmm. her marriage, no, you know, clearly is that, not. That they're suppressed, and they come out in you know other ways because it, I think it does, doesn't it? Mm.
0: What one of the things I really love about this film is well, about a lot of the films that are featured in the book mm. is that a lot of them are about like women who don't speak because if they speak, they're not really believed,
1: so mm. they
0: it's either like they just internalize it. Or it becomes something like this, something monstrous, or they have to find a way to like speak whatever it is, like to actually talk about it. Mm. Um, or, you know, they mention it at the start and then nobody believes them and nobody, you know, so essentially they're kind of shut down yes. over and over again. And I do kind of, I do love that this, you know, subgenre because it's not that they're often psychotic, it's that they, they're kind of silenced, in a way. Mm. Like either by themselves or by other people. Mm. And then you get the little rage monsters, because of course you would. Yeah.
1: I mean, what do you think is behind everything? And I don't know. I mean, I think that you know everything. So <laughs> I know nothing except TikToks and horror films. <laughs> <laughs> so these films are often like there's a man in them, isn't there, mm. um, and a woman. Um, but if men didn't exist, would women be psychotic?
0: Or oh, there...
1: damn! Or is it women psychotic, or have is that because of? hormones and patriarchy like I don't know I think there's like in all of these questions in all of these films Mm. has picked there seems to be you know that lack of control but also trying to gain control or Mm. gain purchase or um you know kind of yeah I don't know where I'm going with this one but um I wonder
0: because we'll never know what it would no. be like
1: to, you know,
0: for culture to not be uh, a patriarchy or stemming from that. And I don't even think it's so much about like men. I think it's about the patriarchy, and I think yeah, men well, are a
1: victim of that as well, aren't they? So. Yeah,
0: exactly, totally. Um, I do think there's like there is something about sort of seeing it and then trying to unlearn it. In the mm. same way as like you know the if there was a sequel to the brood mm. about the the child of this, you know, terrible marriage. So like the the good ending, the happy ending would be the child kind of unlearning the thing that the way that their mother dealt with everything. Yeah. And also the way that their father dealt with everything. Mm-hmm and kind of figuring out a better way. But if it was a horror, but that would be a very boring film. Mm. But if it was a horror film, it would essentially be about like, no, the way that you've learned to cope with shit is because you've learned it through two very fractured people. And then the whole story of your life in a horror film is kind of trying to unlearn the thing that made you the way you are, that comes from your parents, that then you know is hurting other people, but it doesn't. I don't think. I don't think Nola or anyone in the film is a bad person.
1: Oh no! And trauma is kind of usually circumstantial, and not mm. somebody evil or I don't, I'm not even sure of. um But also, I think I don't know. I think that trauma and is kind of necessary. Um, what do you mean? Well, I just think. Well. Obviously, I can't tell, but if I think, mm. and this is my interpretation, and mm. you know, obviously it's clouded. We're all clouded by whatever we see, and you know. But I think if Kayla hadn't have gone through her experiences, mm. she wouldn't have had the drive and the anger and the um, need to prove herself and to you, you know have that relentless need to explore and create and voracious appetite for film and to be able to talk about it and and that bravery. I, I mm. just, so I think that, you know, like as sad that I am that she went through those experiences, um, I'm kind of glad that she did as well because um, we get all her stuff. Just before I made my first short film, Lady mm. Margaret, my dad died and it kind of gave me an energy like fuck it doesn't matter if it's you know shit or whatever i'm going to just go i'm going to make it because the worst thing's already happened mm. and then when i was making Pincushion, it's mm. like 3 days after um i got the green light from the bfi and they said yeah we're giving you production money to make it my husband said uh, i don't want this anymore and kind of you know chucked me off a cliff so I was like reeling with like all this, like what the actual fuck, my whole life, you know, I've been abandoned my whole life's like in, you know, what do I do? What and um, you know, coping with all this like shit and everything. Mm-hmm. And it it, it it kind of gave on the neg on the positive side, it gave me an energy. And it was just like, do you know what? I'm just gonna absolutely run at that screen and splat myself all over it. Um as a way of you know kind of like trying to express or understand or you know work through some of those feelings mm. um so I do think that, you know, okay, that girl, little girl has got those blisters on her arm and stuff, but um, it's going to probably, you know, she's going to probably um, have some unique achievements and experiences because of them. Whereas if there's nothing wrong, it's just like, yeah, what, well, yeah, whatever. I'll just, you know, lay on a beach and pick my nose kind of thing. Whereas <laughs> if like, you know, like you've got blisters, it's like, fucking, it, you know, like, what do I do? It, I don't know. It kind of gives you an energy.
0: Yeah. I mean, as someone who is, Mostly motivated by spite? I can highly relate. Like I, f- <laughs> I find spite is a great motivator. <laughs> and is there is there kind of um, you know, watching the film now? I mean, this is a 70s film. It's very much a 70s film. Yeah. But like did you, you know, watching it now in 2022? Did it resonate in a particular way?
1: Uh, yeah, because I think, yeah, I think it did. I mean, like, there were things like, oh, my God, they should have hid the children's faces because they clearly got, like, little masks on or, you know, um, so that was not so, so sophisticated. Mm-hmm. But I think emotionally, we never change, do we? Mm-hmm. We've still always got those um, – our feelings never change. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I didn't notice that uh, Oliver Reed had a particularly, like, interesting face shape. <laughs> to <laughs> me looking at him thinking god he looks like almost like a caricature you know it, it doesn't look real he's so um, <laughs> striking and extraordinary looking he is yeah and also do you know what i absolutely loved those sets mm. oh yeah. god that wallpaper in the kitchen I don't think enough
0: credit is given to Mr. David Cronenberg for his no. production design, for his Absolutely. sets. Absolutely. Because the oh. one, when I did the brood on the Female Monster series like a few years ago uh, yeah. on this podcast, my guest also mentioned the wallpaper. It's like, no. It's yeah. like, oh
1: my God, I'm so, I'm, I love it. Yeah. I mean, do you think it's relevant today? Well, I think in the last couple of
0: years, not just horror, not just about film, I think we've sort of, you know, created a whole new language to talk about being a woman in the world. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that has like that it's trying to express that thing that the film, the other thing that the film represents. So instead of just keeping it all in and letting it literally transform you and make you into the worst version of yourself the monstrous version of yourself and and making you hurt others. Mm. There is, I think there's now the permission that you mentioned at the very start of our chat. You know, you're kind of, I think we all um have given ourselves permission to speak the way we want to speak and about what we want to speak, write about what we want to write, watch what we want to watch, engage with it in however way we want. And I think the film resonates for me today largely because Nola was not giving herself and was not allowed permission to do that. Given through therapy, you know, this thing, uh, that she's going through. It's, it's the way that she is, you know, trying to say things that are difficult or to work through some stuff. And it sort of made her into this, this, you know, group, mother of monsters in a way.
1: Mm-hmm Um, and read it different if oliver reed had been a man a woman
0: that's like that's an interesting like reimagining remake of this especially now especially with how we talk and think about things now yes and also i do agree with you oliver reed has is very striking yeah. and like he's just he just has one of those voices as oh well and god, faces yes. where he's like oh wow this is what a person who is designed to be in movies yes. looks and sounds like yes. like i'm sure it was odd in person but i'm like wow i just want to see you on the screen
1: oh my god and all that daddy stuff
0: <laughs> <The wrong place. laughs> i
1: don't know i think that's aged very differently <laughs> yes <laughs> And I mean, I felt really fucked up when I was what, experiencing that. <laughs> How so? <laughs> I don't know. It was just like so, and it started like I thought they were on inner play
0: because
1: mm. uh, they were doing that, you know, like role play to each yeah. other. Um, I don't know. It just like really gave me like some kind of like pervy vibes. Um, I don't know whether that was intentional or what, but that's another whole like rabbit hole that you can go to isn't it all the role play and um
0: oh totally
1: yeah, yeah. I mean it, the film's got so much it's um it's like a pick and mix almost of like different things that you can interpret or take away or or whatever. A Pick a
0: mix of traumas
1: <laughs> yes
0: <laughs> and Debbie before I let you go is there anything that we haven't touched on about the film or about the book that you wanted to to bring up
1: you know what i was thinking i kept thinking about oh I, 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 we need to talk about that i can't remember any of it <laughs> i'm so excited to see you <laughs>
0: <laughs> me too deborah thank you again
1: Thank you so very much. And uh, also, can I just say that I love watching you evolve and grow and um, I'm just excited for your future because I think you're a very special person and um, I'm so glad that you're into everything that you're into. Thank you so much. That's okay. (laughs) Um, I feel foolish kind of asking
0: where people can find your work, but where can people find you online and especially where can they watch Pincushion? Uh,
1: They can watch Pincushion, I think amazon prime bfi i'm not i'm not really sure where it is at the minute um i've disappeared off facebook uh but i'm still on twitter and instagram um so yeah that's wonderful
0: thank you so much and thank you so much for not just your kind words but also for giving me the word poo balls i will treasure that (laughs) forever
1: (laughs) yours (laughs) (laughs)